You're listening to Extemporaneously, a podcast all about the job search and how to communicate effectively once you get that job. We are going back to my university days this week. I sit down with Samantha Santos, an associate lawyer for Miller Thompson on this episode. We met at the University of Waterloo, both studying legal studies and business, and both with the aspiration of becoming a lawyer. Clearly that didn't work out for me. Sam and I get a chance to explore how a tech company inspired her to practice in the area of law that she's in today, and how she experiences the push-pull relationship, helping tech startups while working for a larger-sized firm. We then talk about OCIs, the structured interview process for law students, and how some things are universally true for all job seekers too. As I was editing this episode, I noticed how many rich and relatable stories Sam had to tell about her journey and what she learned along the way. Side note, if I had to become a lawyer, any guesses which practice areas I would have wanted to explore? There's only one way to find out. Let's dive into the world of law. Here's my chat with Sam. Hi, Sam. Welcome to Extemporaneously. Hey, Marco. Thanks for having me. Yeah, I'm so excited to chat with you because we obviously know each other very well. We went to university together, went into the same program, and almost pursued the same path, even career-wise, but we've since deviated so, so much. And I think you really went on the path that we were both so committed to, and we talk about your career a lot, but... I don't think we get to go into the depth of what does it actually mean and what have you learned in your career as much. So I think this is going to be a really good episode. For sure. I'm so excited, primarily because I think that all of our conversations oftentimes like bring about insightful nuggets. So at least to that end, I hope that that would resonate with your other viewers. But in any event, always, always happy to chat with you. Yeah. And I I think anyone that's listening will maybe see a different side of how I communicate with people that I know super well. (laughs) Um, So if anything, it'll show a different side of of me as well. I obviously know you really well, but I don't (laughs) think anyone else does so far. So uh, I'd love to just get a high level overview of your journey and what you're known for and what you do and what do people need to know about Sam? Oh, wow. See, I'm going to be honest with you. Like, I think for every interview, this is the question that I hate the most. Tell me about yourself. Like, I find that such a daunting question. But basically, so as you said, went to the University of Waterloo for legal studies and business, decided when I was, so basically as a backstory, when I was five, I decided that I was either going to be a lawyer or a mermaid. Unfortunately, the swimming skills just never happened so I figured you know I should really give this law thing a shot so I went to undergrad at the University of Waterloo really really enjoyed the law like really enjoyed the academic exercise that is involved with it and then went to law school so went to the University of Ottawa spent my law school years there and then I decided to come back to Waterloo and really thought that I want to come back to my community and help provide services to my community And the other portion of that was I really fell in love with tech. And, you know, that was something that came about because of my co-op experiences, but really decided that I wanted to be involved in tech law or to provide services to tech companies and what better city to do it in than Waterloo. Yeah, I definitely 
remember <laughs> being in Waterloo and, and you just had this booming tech scene around you. It was really hard not to get swept up in not only being in tech. And I think I personally owe a lot of my experiences in tech to being in Waterloo myself. But also this like thread of entrepreneurship also comes through a lot. How did you decide or how did you fall into tech? And at what point did you realize that, you know, this is the practice area for me? Because that's probably not one that a lot of people think about. Like you can think of criminology, you think of civil, you think of family law, real estate, employment. Like I wanted to be a constitutional lawyer. So <laughs> how did you decide on tech? You would be like a good constitutional lawyer, actually, now that I think about it. Like that feels like it fits your personality so well. But basically, my very first job ever was with a tech startup. The backstory behind it was I was in my second term of co-op, didn't get a job for the first term, and basically was like, if I don't get a job for this, I should really reconsider whether I should stay in the co-op stream. Went for an interview with this startup who was looking for an intellectual property assistant. Didn't really know what that meant, but I thought, okay, you have no other choices, Sam. Just go for the interview. So I went for the interview and I was successful. I remember it clearly. I believe it was December 23rd. And they called me and said, hey, we'll give you the job. And it was something that was very important to me because the job posting originally was for computer science students and for engineering students. There was no shot that I was going to get this job. After that, really enjoyed the vibe and the environment within a tech startup. Like it was just so nice to be part of something where everybody was working towards the same goal. And there were a lot of risks and there were a lot of questions whether it was going to be a company that was going to exist, you know, in the next couple of years. But regardless, everybody came in every day excited, working towards solving a problem and working towards the same goal, regardless of whether they were in product or engineering or like legal or HR. And I just really loved that atmosphere. But to answer your question, I have a soft spot for tech because it was a tech company that gave me my first shot. So I always look back because I really thought that what was most interesting about my undergrad, which I then talked in, about in my law school applications, was that experience. Because I ended up staying in that company for four co-op terms, I believe, and then three part-time terms. And then they hired me on during my law school time as well. So I really thought that if not for that experience, if not for them kind of taking a shot at me, things would have gone very different. I do remember, you know, you going back to that tech startup and you reminiscing about how much of an awesome experience it was and how it really informed a lot of decisions that you ended up making about your practice area. So I can totally relate. And just as a side note, I, I do think it was December 23rd because I think I was in the same boat. It was my 
second co-op term and I was struggling and then I got I think it was match day on the 23rd of mm-hmm. December. So that that's when I found out that I was working for Environment Canada and moving to Gatineau, Quebec. <laughs> uh, so <laughs> that was uh, that was a fun time. What really struck me was the wealth of knowledge because you worked for multiple terms at this mm-hmm. company. And it seems like you really sharpened a lot of skills and that's what co-op and internships are for. It seems to deviate a little bit from maybe what we would assume graduate out of university, immediately jump into law school. And, you know, because it's a graduate degree, essentially, you don't want to spend all that much extra time delaying your entrance into the legal profession. Would you say that your experiences in co-op is something that really benefited you? Would you recommend people maybe actually getting some experience before jumping into law or you're like, nah, just, just push forward, like get your JD. What, what's your thought on that? So that's actually a very interesting question. Um, and, and it's one that I often think about whenever I get questions of, you know, like if there's something you would have done differently, what would you do differently? To answer the first part of that, I a hundred percent agree and believe that my co-op experiences throughout those six work terms really shaped the type of skills that I had to offer. So part of what made my law school application compelling was not, you know, the marks or the LSAT or the references, but I think it was the ability to really convey the things that I learned in my experiences and why I would make a great addition to the 2000, I guess, 2016 class. To answer the second part of your question, I was one of those students who basically was like, okay, you know, I did five years of undergrad and you can like relate because we were, we were in there every term. So five years of undergrad. And then I went straight to law school without any breaks. And I thought at that point in time, I was just so focused on checking off all of the checkboxes. So really checking off my co-op requirements, my degree requirements, checking off like taking the LSAT and like volunteer and extracurriculars that I didn't really have time to stop. And looking back, I think there is no harm with taking a couple of years And really just trying to experience other things because every experience that you have will only contribute to the ability that you can provide services to your clients in the future. I think there is no detriment to not going straight to law school. The legal profession is actually one that gets more compelling and more fruitful, the more experience you have under your belt. So when I went to law school, I probably was one of the younger ones, actually. Like I find that my most interesting colleagues were colleagues who this was their second, third careers. So some of them were like nurses before, some of them have started companies, some were engineers, some were like researchers. It was very interesting to see the types of value add that they provide 
because of the experiences that they had. I have another friend that happens to also be a lawyer, also a really close friend <laughs> of mine. Seems like that's a common thread. Uh, but that's exactly what she did, right? She had an extensive background in in biochem, in health sciences, and the moment she got into law, a couple of years later, she realized that that was her unique value prop. And that's not unlike even a regular job search, right? We have this perception that we need to have like the super linear path. Mm-hmm. But the reality is sometimes the the little milestones and the things that you choose to do with your career, that's what makes you unique. And that's the value add that you can provide because you bring a fresh perspective and you're not simply relying on the legal training that's given to you, but you actually have something to substantiate that, which to me is a very cool philosophy that maybe we don't think about, right? We see it as an extension of education and that's the sum total of it. Uh, so I, I love that that sentiment uh, a lot. What is really interesting to me when we talk about your career is this divide between technology, which you talked about, right? It's almost risky. It's fast paced. It's agile. It's super innovative, right? And you compare that to what I believe corporate to be like, which is maybe not quite as, they're a little bit more risk averse, let's call it, Um, maybe a little bit more slow moving. And you're somehow caught in between those two worlds because you service technology companies while working at a pretty big law firm. What's that experience like? And what are some of the differences that you've noticed between those two cultures? and, And how does that impact you day to day? It's actually pretty cool. Like it feels very much like a discrepancy from an outside perspective, but it really works well together in the sense that, as you said, like startups have this ethos of, um, you know, you move fast and you break things, basically. So you, you do it, you take the risk, and then if it happens, it happens. If it doesn't happen, you move on to the next one. And with law firms and more traditional brick and mortar companies, the risks feel more calculated, right? As you said, it's more risk averse. And I think as lawyers in general, the nature is not to take a lot of risks. But I think that's a misnomer, actually. I think the thing that binds the two is the calculation of risk. It's startups just have a different way of calculating risks versus like a larger entity like a firm when working with startups at the early at the early age that's the value add it's the ability to go and say hey we're not going to stop you we're not going to impede your pace we're going to try and support the pace that you're going but here are the considerations that you might want to keep in mind and that might be a blind spot because you are moving so fast and so i think the the balance really works well with each other because on the flip side of it startups do move at such a pace that it really allows law firms to look at their internal processes and say hey you know maybe there are certain parts of the legal industry that we could speed up a bit or automate to be able to really keep up with the times and provide more efficient services for our clients i do see because I work with a couple of legal 
professionals at Extempra that the more I'm researching law firms just to do mock interviews or whatever, I'm noticing a lot more mentions of the use of technology and the place of automation in the legal industry, which is a great step and I think speaks to some of the things that you're talking about. I'm really interested in something a little bit different, maybe Mm -hmm. more on a personal note. Do you think that your work as a lawyer has changed how you view the world? I think it really does. Definitely think that there are decisions in my life where I've had to play the role of, okay, if I was the client and I was also my lawyer, as my lawyer, what advice would I provide to myself? Would this be a decision that I would make that makes sense? It's also very interesting because I've learned that sometimes the perfect solution is a fantasy. If there's no such thing as the perfect solution, I think the solution that is the right solution at the time is really context-based. Depending on so many factors, depending on your risk tolerance at that time, which may change as you move forward, but there is no perfect solution. And that was something that was very difficult to learn personally, but something that my job is also teaching me. I ask because I definitely noticed that change in perception or that change in approach, I would say, in the way that you analyzed even personal life. Or if I ask you for an opinion about my own life, That's not a bad or a good thing. It was just different. I don't think we've ever talked about that, but it is definitely something that I was always curious about because obviously everything that we do informs how we view the world. And and your point about having to counsel other people and sometimes taking that approach on your own decisions is something that I think a lot about as a coach, right? When I tell someone, like, these are the things you should be thinking about on the job search, for example. I am thinking about how would I react in that situation or how would I approach it? And it's kind of interesting because I think it, it really challenges you to think maybe beyond the status quo because you, you feel more invested in that decision when you tell someone like, this is what you should be thinking about or this is what you should do. And I, I, I think that's really something that, that only people in our kind of positions can, can, can understand or speak to. And in the line of growth, because I, you've grown a lot in your career, obviously, you've been a lawyer for what, four or five years now? I always get confused about how I count the number of years, but, but I am in my fourth year all now. Yeah, and, and you've come such a long way from being a student, going through OCIs, to now being on the other side of it and interviewing students to join your firm. And I'd love to dive a little bit deeper into this because the more I work with people on OCIs, the more I realize that it's a very unique experience. And I don't think a lot of people know about it. So if you don't mind, I'd love for you to give everyone that's listening a quick overview of what OCIs are. And and then I have a couple questions about it that I, I want to understand. Yeah, for sure. This is one that is my personal view of the process is that the best way that I can describe it to people is that it's kind of like like dating 
So the OCI process is a formalized process pursuant to the rules of the law society. Um, and basically the way it goes is that the first part of it is what I call the speed dating part. So it's basically like 20 minute interviews with about 20, 30 firms. And you go through each one. Usually the interviews are scheduled on the same day or on a couple of blocks of days. And then if you're successful, then you move on to the longer interviews. So this is what I call like, you know, the more formalized dates where the interviews are longer. These are the infirm interviews where like you, before, before the pandemic, you get invited to the firm, you get to see like the firm structure, get to see like the different offices. And like, that's also a way to invite people and show them like, this is the difference between firm A and firm B. And then there's also, during that process, there's also the lunches. Well, this was before the pandemic, so I'm, I'm not quite sure actually how we handle the, the socials part now because of the pandemic, but there's a social component, which is meant to see how an applicant would react on a more social context. So it's either a dinner or a lunch or maybe a group networking thing. I've actually heard that there was a firm who once tried to do at the very later stages of their OCI process, escape rooms. Oh. They take like the top four and they go to an escape room with like other members of the firm. Just to kind of how and see like how they would react to a very stressful situation. But also if there's a connection there with other members of the firm. Because ultimately, kind of like dating, the goal is to find a connection, to see like not only if the firm is right for you, but also if you are right for the firm. Got it. And what was your experience like going through the OCI process as a student? Uh, I, I'd love to get your sense of, you know, what that experience is like. And then we can flip over and talk about the other side now that you're recruiting as well. <laughs> So a lot of sleepless nights, a lot of really trying to make sure that you get the names of the firms right, you get the names of the people at the right firm, and really get your facts straight, get your research straight. Um, a lot of thinking about whether you really see yourself at the firm. I found it to be a very nerve-wracking experience but there's also parts of it that was very comforting so on the comforting part of it it was nice to kind of be able to see a whole bunch of firms all at the same time because as a student you don't really know what the differences are between the firms unless you're there right like unless you really have the chance to speak with the people who live and breathe and work at those firms so it was nice to see that because seeing so many different people within a short period of time really allows you to see the differences. On the nerve wracking part, it's a lot of work. Like there's a lot of prep work that goes in it. I think it requires you to really know your resume inside out and like really know what your path is and like what your journey is all about. because. You never know what question you're going to get. It's either you go in and they ask you a question about your interests, 
I once had an interview where we spent 25 minutes just talking about how I was attacked by seagulls at Bondi Beach. (laughs) (laughs) Or, you know, you spend 30 minutes talking about why law Mm -hmm. and like why law school and why Ottawa or things of that nature. So it's really hard to tell where you're going to get, um, what you're going to get for these types of interviews, but overall, it's just a very different process, a different and specific process. Yeah, I was reading some research about lawyers and the hiring practices in, in law, and I think it was out of the University of Denver, they were talking about how 95% of partners and associates that are hiring, they believe that there might be some lack in practical skills. So sometimes they really just sift for character base fit. And can do we feel like you have the tenacity or the resilience to do the job? Like these are some of the things that people are really looking out for. And so when I prepare with law students, for example, we talk a lot about all the different aspects, interests. We do dive deeper, probably a lot deeper than I would with anybody else, to be honest. Mm-hmm. Like how do you frame your interests? So what are some of the interests that you can talk about in a meaningful way? Um, all the way down to like reading between the lines, because you do have 30 or 20 different law firms you're speaking with. And I remember asking uh, one of my clients to talk about an experience where they were innovative because even though that wasn't listed in the job description or it wasn't listed as like one of their main values, if you look at the testimonials of all the students that were there, it was always about innovation. So how did, you know, even going through and like trying to read between the lines, that's a tough job when you're doing 30 of them in in a very short period of time. Not to mention call day. And then you have call day. Oh, man. But like, just to go back to the point, I just remember now, like, I, I remember distinctly. Um, I was interviewing for a firm. I thought it was going well. The early OCI short interview process went very well. The infirms went very well as well. The dinner went well. And then I had an interview with one partner. And basically, the partner was like, why us? So you give your spiel. I really love this firm because X, Y, and Z. And I spoke to your articling students and some of your associates and they seem to really like it. And he's like, oh, well, that's great. But why us? When you look down the street, every law firm has great people and not so great people. Every law firm has probably the same practice areas. So they're all the same. So why us? My face, I, I think if I could see my face, probably like drained so much blood and I was so light because <laughs> I knew at that point, because I didn't have a good answer to that because I was, I was honestly stumped mm. um, that I knew it was, it was done. I mean, that, to me, that's a chicken or the egg type of problem, right? Mm-hmm. If you as someone at a firm or at a company right and you can point to and say listen every firm is the same or every company in this industry is the same then why do you have a reasonable expectation that somebody can discern without knowing really what you do or what your culture is to say like you're differentiated because and i think sometimes the onus is on the company or the hiring manager one of the questions that i asked or like to ask from time to time to firms or to companies 
is like, what happens here at this company that doesn't happen anywhere else, right? Why don't you tell me what makes you special? And then I'll tell you whether or not that, that messaging lands with me as a job seeker as well. And that's a really interesting push-pull. But anyway, that, that's a tangent. I want to go back to OCI. You have been through the process. You're now on the other side of the table. How is your perception of this process of OCIs? How has that changed? I think that it's an interesting process. And it is like, I see the efficiencies that go with it. The one thing that I often think about is whether we're missing candidates who may not who may not fit well or perform well under the constructs of the OCI process. Because the OCI process, I think, is um, advantageous for candidates who are a lot more outgoing, like, you know, a lot more extroverted, because it is like a large process where you talk to so many different people. And so I wonder sometimes if it's a candidate that is a strong candidate, but is a little bit more introverted, whether their their light gets a little bit dimmed and they may get they may get passed over because of how the process is structured. I I mean, even talking to some other people that I work with, Canada put in some really weird situations at times, you know, being asked, are we your top? firm <laughs> is, yeah are we your top choice and it's like how do you expect someone without going through the rest of their interviews to know that before we end off i'd like to ask you a little bit about your favorite interview story either if you're looking for someone on the on your team now or if as a job seeker back in the day what's an interesting story that you'd like to tell so this goes way back when i was a, a co-op student and this was something that we discussed because I remember you had to talk me off the ledge when we were discussing this story. But basically, I, I remember distinctly, I was at the Tatum Center. I was waiting for my interview. I just so happened to cross paths with the applicant that was interviewed before me. And basically, he said, oh, it was great. The interviewer is great. He's a nice guy. But there's a writing sample at the end. So proceeded to worry about the writing sample all the way up the stairs to enter the interview room, saw a little desk with a laptop set up and told myself, okay, there is a writing sample, need to relax and like figure out what to write. Went through the interview, went well, really connected with the interviewer. And then he said, okay, thanks for your time. I remember leaving the room, looking at the table and almost asking him, aren't you going to ask me for a writing sample? <laughs> but of course, I was just so disoriented that I was just like, okay. So went down. I, I remember proceeded to tell like you and my family that, man, I was really excited for this job, but I think I bombed the interview because he didn't even want to give me a second chance to let me show him a writing sample. Turns out during matching day that I was ranked first for this job. So I did get the job. I accepted the offer. It was a great time, great team, great learning experience. At the very end of my term, I asked my boss, who was also my interviewer, 
was there really a writing sample or was the other applicant just trying to mess with me? And he said, no, there was really a writing sample. I just decided that through the interview, I really liked you and you were the candidate that I wanted and you didn't need to provide a writing sample. And I said, well, that's good to know because I almost said no to this because I thought that you hated me. <laughs> and so that story really sticks with me because of two points. So the first point is that as an interviewer, it really stuck with me to make sure that I'm consistent, make sure that I ask the same questions as much as I can and be consistent in how I um, interact with applicants because you never know. And apparently applicants talk. <laughs> And then the other part of it is really just trust in your abilities, particularly as I go through this journey, trust in yourself that you've put your best foot forward, you've done all that you can. So don't discount yourself until they tell you that it's a no. And I think that's one that you always, always, always remind me as I go through applications and job search and stuff like that. I do remember that story and that moment. And it just goes to show you that you can never know that you can feel as good or as bad about an interview after the fact. You just never know. And that to me is some of the trickiest parts of the interview process, but also really tricky in the work that I do because you want to give people a sense of confidence and you tell them that they're doing a great job or that they're going to be fine. And sometimes the, it doesn't point in that direction and it's really, really mm -hmm. difficult. But yeah, I think that's a great story to, to show that you just never know. You just never know. Exactly. And we would have missed out on our best co-op term. Where we work together. Exactly. <laughs> Listen, Sam, this has been tremendously fun for me. I always admire your dedication to your work. And I think you've done some amazing things. And I know that you are spearheading so many cool new ways of doing in, in law. And I don't think you give yourself enough credit for that necessarily. So thank you so much for being on this podcast and sharing your insights and couple things you've picked up along the way. Thank you so much. I really appreciate it. Thanks for having me. So how fun was that going down memory lane with Sam? It really brings me back to my university days, studying legal studies, getting so timid about co-op. But it really does bewilder me every time I talk to Sam about her career and her job, because it gives me a sliver of what could have been. It goes without saying that she is inspiring because of the dedication and how much she cares about the legal profession. Anyway, that is this episode. If you haven't already, don't forget to subscribe. Follow me on LinkedIn, Marco Yim. And if you want to learn more about communications, career or otherwise, just check us out at extempra.com. We'll see you again next time. Bye now.